you are listening to a production of the Toe Network. This is Laser Knees number 90, Bad Karaoke Allergies. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono, and this is Dino Knight Sentai Ryu Soldier, Episode 7, The Princess of Planet Safus, and Episode 8, The Miraculous Singing Voice. Our writer continues to be Yamaoka Junpei. Our director, surprisingly enough, is Sakamoto Koichi. What, seriously? Yeah. But they're... Wow. Did they get someone to, like, just, like, slap him on... Well, I'm hoping upside the back of his fool head every time he's, like, trying to creep shot on someone? I mean, I'd, I'd imagine so. Oh. Well, good! Hey! Sorry, I'm just like... <laughs> I didn't realize it was a Sakamoto joint. Yeah, no, I mean... Explains a few things. It does. The action was great. But also, like, those girls were in, like, real short skirts and shorts, and we never actually, like, looked at their legs. Yeah, there just there weren't a whole bunch of, like, lingering shots there, and they didn't go, oh, what was the, the name of that martial arts lady in the Forza movie? In, uh... Anyway, there's the... In, um... Space Baby? Let's, let's go space? Um, yeah. Inga? Yeah, yeah. Inga Brink, right? Yeah. Something like... Oh, Blink. Brink? Something, yeah, something like that. Anyway, where it's just like, they put like a, just like they kept, like, make misting at her. It's just like, that didn't happen. There wasn't a bunch of ladies fighting, or like, being in pain in really uncomfortable ways for like 20 minutes. There weren't any women in hot pants doing high kicks? Yeah. Real weird. I, <laughs> I just thought they... We're continuing to be really good, but I get... Anyway, let's just get into the show, because otherwise we could just spend, uh, like, an hour just vamping about all the things that Kuichi Sakamoto does that are bad. And he has so many of them. I mean, admittingly, they're all the same one, but he does it so much. He just does it in so many ways. Yeah, like, there's... Dear listener, I, I, I want it on record. Like, we're not censor happy people over here but there's a time and a place i mean like look and the the time and the place is when you're directing a thing that is not targeted at eight to twelve year olds i don't plan on like i've heard he's he made a sexy action movie i don't plan on watching it but you know what fine don't why why he why also made him have to happen the way it did yeah it had the best moment all of Common Rider Forza, which is saying something, in the same movie as, like, just creep shot on these high school girls. I don't like it. Anyway, um, I guess we're talking about things that are bad. Let's talk about things that were bad in Ryu Soldier, which somehow were not staring at a girl's butt. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay, so... The, the singer who they thought was connected to the monster, when they first see the monster with him did he just not notice it was there because in eight yeah, like was weird. he he claims that the reason he was on the ground is because he like had a cold to which i mean if you're coughing to the point that you're passing out on the floor maybe postpone your gig my dude <laughs> but like he has zero reaction to the minosaur existing while his audience is like screaming and running in fear which is a little strange maybe yeah, just just a bit. I, I mean, I will. I do have to say though, I kind of almost want to praise his dedication to making it to the show, 
on the other hand, like, it didn't look like anyone was paying to see him. Like, dude doesn't even seem to be... Okay. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been to a county fair where they have, like, a band or an act from the 80s or 90s who had, like, one hit, but still kind of have a, a, a simmering fan base. But, like, he didn't have that. He was just there. I think he brought his own personal stage with him. I think so, because he uses the same stage later in, like, a different spot. But, like, on top of somehow missing the monster, which, it's really weird. Also, do they think that if the monster comes out of you, you wouldn't be freaked out by seeing it? I always thought that was a big reason that the monster, like, bubbles away. Yeah. So that you, like... Because otherwise, someone might make the connection that Ui did, and, like... Slay the monster, which, ugh. Boy, I don't like the amount of times. It is intense the number of times in Ryu Soldier we, we talk about, like, uh, suicide in even an offhand way. That's a weird thing that the show inspires. That's weird. Anyway, um, back, back to the singer guy, because that's a lot easier to talk about. I know a lot of people will praise folks for coming to work when they're sick, but when you're when your work is your voice. Like, you gotta be kinder to your pipes, my dude. Only a handful of people really ever come out, you know, spring back from, like, tearing your pipes up from being really sick. And also, I guess that maybe that's why he didn't scream when he saw the monster? He just I, fainted? I, well, yeah, he did, like, pass out. But it was from coughing because he was sick. But also, like, the monster was already there, like, before he was on the ground. And he just, he just didn't seem to notice. It was very strange. It, yeah, it was. Also, speaking speaking of weird music stuff, uh, the the musical interlude where like, Cardinia just stops a conversation, and just starts singing the weird little song was distracting. That's a very nice way to put it. It seemed very strange, but I mean, the the actresses for Cardinia and Fida are both pop singers. So I guess they had to capitalize on that a bit. And the fact that when she does start doing it, like, everyone's reacting to the fact that all the lights went out and now there's a spotlight on her. And they're all like, what? What's going on? Like, that was actually pretty funny. But the fact that this, like, happened and went on for, like, a minute and a half was a lot. It went on for way too long. Especially since I feel like it was the same, like, two sentences just again and again. Yeah, it's... It's not the worst example I've seen of exactly this. It ain't the best one, though. Uh, yeah, it's definitely, uh... It, it went on a little too long, and it came kind of out of nowhere. And that was yeah. that was really the problem. Though, I guess it's nice to... Because I was suspecting that that was a pop act of some kind, so it's nice to know that that was indeed the case. Um, also, where the heck did Fortress Mode come from? How is that a thing that they know they can do? They're like, we gotta use fortress mode, which is a thing that we have never seen or discussed ever. Yeah, I mean, that was, yeah, it's weird. I was just sort of like, shrug whatever, because Sentai logic. But the big problem for me is that fortress mode looks bad. It's not great. Like, it is a big puzzle bot, and I understand that, like, sometimes you just gotta put them together in whatever way you can, but, like, if a, if a kid came up with that... And it was like, yeah, well, you can't, you can't attack me with your monster because I turned it into a into a fortress. Like you can't touch it. 
fine, but it doesn't doesn't quite work. But just tell me that they've been like experimenting or thinking about different ways to use the modularness of this robot instead of just being like, nope, fortress mode. Yeah, I mean, or just like, even if one of them just would have said, hey guys, trust me, I'm gonna try something. Because at least then I'd go for it. Yeah, well then, then at least it'd be like, it would be a spontaneous thing where it's not something that they're acting like they definitely have done a million times when they definitely have not. Also, okay, I have a, I have a small beef with both of these episodes, and I'm just going to bring it up now, because, because, um, and that is that there's not a lot of crayon, because, like, I know we're introducing a new bad guy, but, uh, she's great. Crayon's great. Why? I want more. Fair enough. Um, she did get that really good bit at the amusement park, though, where she was like, oh yeah, of course I'll let all the hostages go. Except, no, of course I'm not going to because I'm a villain, you idiots. Like, that was a great bit. That is a great bit. I I just want more. I, it's just, I can't get enough because she, honestly, she just gives off a good energy. Well, maybe not good. good good's not the word. Entertaining. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's, she's a great villain. I just, I, I want more. I'm always happy every time she's on screen, especially because it's, it's hard to do an irreverent villain well. Because an irreverent villain, half the time, it's just like, well, why are you just completely negating the premise of the show? And the other time, it's, oh, you're trying very hard to be clever and you're not. But Crayon's just, it's clever and fun. And it's just, it's bits like, Hey guys, just line up. Just line up. We're gonna watch. Ah! They both ran into the thing. <laughs> That's great. She's That's... she's so good. Yeah. But anyway, um, I just I just want more. So the the biggest problem that I have is that I'm unclear when Weisel changes places with Theta. It feels like it shouldn't have been in Seven. Because when we first meet Weisel and he does the big introduction, the way Weisel is doesn't seem like he'd let someone do that in his stead. And also, he needed to actually be there to be brainwashing those children. But by the end of Seven, Cardinia starts dropping the information that she's not supposed to have when we've rescued this- as we're rescuing Theta, air quotes. So the, the rescued Fida, air quotes, was always Weisel. And Cardinia had to have been given this information way in advance because there's no... She wasn't with Fida until that moment. Ui is the one who brings Fida to her. So she had to already have known and be blackmailed into this plan. But for, and for Ko to know Fida was at the park, he had to hear her singing... So how could she do that if she was knocked out by Weisel? So it had to be Weisel impersonating her. So it would have to be before the beginning of the episode, right? Like yeah, was that tracks. He, and the the Minosaur was always there and she was inside the Minosaur. So was Weisel always disguised as Fida? Because then how was he out brainwashing the kids in Seven? And again, the idea Yeah, especially because Fida was in the she was trapped with the kids. Yeah, well, I assumed that that was him, like, disguised as Fida, 
waiting for like because you have to run in there really quick. Unless it was always him and that other Weisel was always the disguised mook, but that doesn't make sense because then how did he brainwash the kids? Yeah. That's Yeah. And it also, it makes the bit where Fida is allergic to bad singing weird, because by the timing, that had to be Weisel. Oh, yeah. And I thought for a second, Cardinia was, like, covering for Weisel being angry about the bad performance, because he's a performer. But also, like, the real Fida is actually allergic to bad singing? Because they take advantage of that when they have to save her, so that whole bit doesn't make sense. I mean, I guess we can hand wave it away by saying he becomes a perfect copy of of the thing he's turning into, but uh, it's a stretch. It's, uh, but yeah, I just I it, it's very very unclear when they changed places, unless he's like going back and forth between different bits when he knows the Ryu soldiers are in the park. And when he knows they're not in the park, he'll go be Weisel. And then when, you know, because I guess Kurian and the Mooks are out in the park and could communicate that to him somehow, he'll go, like, change into Fida and tie himself up. But, I don't know, that seems like a lot of work and we have no indication that that's happening. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a weird one. <laughs> the mechanics do not follow. Also, we never really follow up on how Fida and Cardinia got here. Like, in 7, Cardinia says that Weisel is kidnapping people from other planets, and he kidnapped the two of them, and they escaped. But, like, the confusion about when exactly Weisel started using Cardinia as a prop in his plan to get rid of the Ryu soldiers, like, there's no actual evidence of him kidnapping people from other planets we don't have any other aliens where is he keeping them if that's the case it makes that it makes it unclear how much of that story is true especially in, since when cardine we're seeing like the flashbacks to cardinia's story we see fida when she lands on earth holding what we later learn to be the bomb that Weisel plans to kill the Ryu soldiers with. So, like, if the story is half true, and she was using kind of the true story as the cover for this exploitation, we need to follow up with Weisel kidnapping people from other planets. Yeah. And we need to yeah, save them. And if it's totally false, and she just made that up, or her and Weisel made that up in this sort of, like, Hades Megara plan from Hercules, where did the two of them come from? Why are they on Earth? That is that is the question. Like, if they were just weird aliens that happened to be on Earth and Fida got kidnapped, fine. Just tell me that. Yeah. Just, just tell me that exact sentence and I will not ask any other questions. <laughs> well, because, I mean, that, yeah, that explains it. But it, yeah, I don't I don't know, but it, it does bring me to a problem I was having, and it's not even a problem, it's just, because, like, I know a lot of Sentai series take place in universes that are just massively populated, and I'm I'm here for that, it's fine. But it, it like you were saying, it feels weird to just have them there, just rolling on in. Because no matter how they got there, 
it it feels weird that we're bringing interplanetary stuff in to complicate matters at this point. Because, like, look, if it's paid off on, great, no problem, it'll be nice. But it it seems kind of extraneous, because the conflict is basically about Earth and who gets to be the dominant species. Because even though the Druidons have been out in space all this time, and I guess the, the kidnapping and whatnot, like, that tells us what they've been doing... I don't know, it just hit me weird. Like, it's it's an extra level that we don't need to go to because thematically we don't still need it. I mean, like, I I was willing to accept there just being two aliens showing up because that just seems like a thing that happens in Dinosaur Sentai. Like, Ranger okay. did it, and I feel like the other two did it, but I don't remember exactly what it would have been offhand. Um, but I know, but Zoo Ranger did it, and these three aliens just, like, show up in a car. They just drive into Zoo Ranger, and they're like, we're aliens, and you gotta help us. And I'm like, okay, this episode is weird, but sure, I can accept this. Just tell me where they came from. Just, you don't even gotta tell me, you don't have to tell me anything about their planet. You don't have to tell me why they left, or why they came here. You just need to tell me, like, hey... We've been hanging out on Earth, and this dude kidnapped my sister, and I need you to help me get her back. That's Those are the only things you need to tell me, and I will totally accept it because I throw suspension of, like, I go full suspension of disbelief, and I'm willing to do that. But you can't be like, here's this cover story that might actually be real, but doesn't totally make it like raises more questions if this is true no i dig it i dig it okay but any other any other big problems no there there really wasn't a whole lot about this episode that was all that weird just kind of some mechanical things because hey guess what uh this is a really solidly written series yeah it is i i'm very happy about you soldier we were talking just before the we started recording about how like Zio got its ups and downs. Let's be let's be kind. It's got its ups. It's got its downs. It's nice that Ryu Soldier, for out the gate from the off, rock solid writing. It really is. Uh, and speaking of, let's let's get into the stuff we enjoyed in these episodes. Yeah, right off the bat, we start this arc with a really good character interaction. Just. That just gives us tons of things. Like, Ui's dad is trying to teach Melto and Asuna about biology and magnetism, I guess. And Melto is absolutely fascinated. And Asuna is bored and doesn't understand what she's being told and doesn't care and wanders off. And we relate the lecture that they're being given back to the show itself by claiming that Dino Knight temples are in magnetically neutral locations which is not a thing i understand but i'm willing to believe that it makes sense and i'm willing to buy into the pseudoscience of this show with dinosaur robots because look you gotta do that um honestly i will say even if that's not really a thing because i don't know physics very good or english apparently um it's still a really fun bit of scientific-sounding stuff, and in being that, they've added a lot to Asuna and Melto for me, because 
which is nice because those two have been kind of underserved lately, and it's nice to see them get their moments. Yeah. Though it looks like the underserving is going to be fixed soon, which is even better. Yeah, which is great because now we've got the team together and we can start focusing on everyone. Um, and then after we have this nice little moment where we remind the cast that Asuna's strong, and Asuna's she just so she just picks up this big rock and just accidentally crushes it in her bare hands and is like oh oh no i have to stealthily reverse the damage with my sword that yells out what i'm doing as i do it (laughs) love that like it's a really cute bit and my only regret is that it wasn't the introduction to an arc that's specifically about asuna not being able to totally control her super strength because i feel like it would be a really good lead-in two episodes Mm. about that absolutely but it was still a really cute bit and i'm glad that it's a trait we're remembering that she has and that we're not just letting die off screen six feet to the left oh and thank goodness like look it's not putting a dude into a mountain which is a shame but it's a good callback and it's it's nice to see that that's a thing we're just gonna keep on with I mean, look, as long as we remember that it's a thing that she does, eventually she is gonna put a dude into a mountain again. That's gonna be so good. Honestly, I just just want her to, like, punch a monster again. Also, I adore that Ko shrinks down Tiramigo so that he can bring him inside and watch TV with him. Because that's adorable. Because I just imagine him like this big dog with his, his, like taking up the whole couch with his whole head taking up Ko's, like, entire body. And let me tell you, I absolutely lost my mind when Tiramigo then walks up and starts talking. And I know they're almost definitely not gonna have all of them talk since the other four use, like, a stock sound effect instead of having a guy in a booth making appropriate dinosaur noises as this T-Rex flails around. But I kind of wish that they would. Because I, I want them all to talk. But I am I can live with just Tiramigo because it's it's so cute. And that guy in the booth making dinosaur noises, by the way, is Terasoma Masaki, who is notable for being the voice of Kintaros, Shadow Moon, and Pegasan. And was, in the, was the former partner of Hojo in Agito, making him as a character responsible for the one singular episode where we're able to not hate Hojo. Or... If you still hate him, you, you hate him less. For a little. Which, look, that's that takes some doing. That's impressive. Cause I mean, he's, he is a noted worst. voice for a oh, character that... Hojo. Well, Hojo is the worst, and we do hate him. But uh, he's the voice of a character I love, and a character you love, yep. and also a piece of armor that was in Q-Ranger. <laughs> Look, they can't all be winners. I mean, look, I didn't dislike Pegasam, but he's only in, like, an episode and a half, and I can't... And boy, that one episode was... Bad. Too much. It was a bad episode. So, I mean, like, not at the fault of Pegasam, but, you know, I can only feel I mean, so many didn't things. I help in that one. That, but that's not, that's not, uh, Teresu and Masaki's problem. No, it's not. He was just doing what he could with what he had. But he is Kintaros, and that makes up for it. Yeah, that's true. Um, Also, I just want to say that I really enjoy the thought of Terramigo just 
Tiramigo, rather, just watching whatever the equivalent of Sesame Street is. Getting, and by the end of the show, he'll just have a full first grader vocabulary. Because I just, I think that'd be great. I, I would truly enjoy that. Also, if at some point they have to go save his, like, the people who make his favorite TV show. Oh, that would be so good. That yeah, would Tier be Amigo so cute. has to go save, like, some puppet pals, some off-brand puppets. Great. Especially because, like, then you could have a very enlightening discussion with the kids. Like, hey, you know, no matter how real it looks, your imagination is what makes it real. And then hopefully they'll find a way to, to talk about, like, hey, here's how these things get made in a, in a you know, genre-appropriate way without giving kids the trauma of watching uh, Frank Oz just take Ernie off. Like, I, I love behind-the-scenes stuff. I love Muppets. Behind-the-scenes Muppet stuff can get kind of nightmarish, because the, the weird the translation between character and puppet it shouldn't be a thing that like you see the you see the border boy and behind the scenes stuff in sesame street you see the border and they cross it and it is disturbing yeah it is a, a, a bit strange it's it's some body horror is what i'm saying felt body horror also i feel like ko and tiramigo must have been watching some like comedy variety shows with the bit that Tiramigo and Melto do about him being like, Naruto, Melto, Sato, Melto, you're, you're saying words correctly, so you obviously know. When he called him Naruto, dude. <laughs> like, it, it was just such a funny bit, and I wish Ko had been there to see that his partner was not only developing advanced language, but also was developing a sense of humor. Because I feel like yeah. Poe would have found it hilarious. Like, and a savage one. Because I'm sorry, just, like, Naruto? Like, <laughs> at least now we know what they're watching, though. Well, Naruto is, uh, is a food. Oh. Oh, that's right. Yeah, okay, well, never mind then. Speaking of Ko, I love that he's ready to just, like, jump off a bridge and swim around the world. Like, yeah, that's plausible. I'm gonna go do that. I'm just... That's the thing I'm gonna go do right now. And I also just love that he's hanging out with Ui. Just, like, in his off hours, like, they just went out together to go hang out. What were they planning to do? I'd, I'd love to know how they ended up at this bridge. And Ko's like, hey, what if I just go? Like, I just really love the idea of any of them hanging out with Ui. Oh, yeah. Outside of having to stop a monster, and I want to see more of that. I mean, look, it, it does seem, if we sort of go on the thought that they're, they're having one new of these two-part arcs every other week, so there's as much as a week or two between monster attacks, so, you know, they've got, the, they've got to go out and get to know the modern world. So... You could. There's worse ways to do that than going for walks and chilling, because I. I mean, like all I can imagine Bonda does is just like stare fiercely into the distance and sharpen his sword, which is not a euphemism. I know it sounds like one, but I. I mean that. Like, he is definitely the kind of guy who takes like obsessive care of his steel, 
even if his steel is like a chunk of brightly colored plastic. I mean, I look, love that dude. I do. I adore. I adore all of them, but I I am very I am very very fond of Bonba and Toa. Same. They they got a great thing going on. Like no no shade on the rest of the cast. Like I think the only reason I'm not bigger on Melto and Asuna is just we haven't got to see them do much lately. So. Also speaking speaking of them all, I'm a little fascinated by the fact that the five of them are roughly two hundred years old, give or take. Right? Like, how old were their masters? How old is the Elder? <laughs> if being a Ryu soldier is something that's passed down through apprenticeship, like Hibiki style, how long do you train for it? How long have the three of them been in training before everyone's like, okay, you're gonna be the Ryu soldiers now? At what age are you chosen to train for it? How far back does this go? Does it go back to the millions of years since dinosaurs were on Earth? And if that's the case, like, how many generations are there? Because y'all live so long. Like, this has raised so many questions that are not frustrating because they're world-building questions and not, like, major plot questions. Because none of this affects anything going forward. It just kind of affects how we got here to an extent and i just want to know because it's cool it is and like just by having co casually state that oh yeah i'm 209 years old like that has kicked open the doors of of the lore of this show and i just i really hope they like keep leaning into it also, the way he just drops it so casually while Ui is absolutely losing her mind over it is, like, the height of comedy. And it's acted so perfectly. And I, I've just been laughing at this one scene for, like, two weeks. I'm so in love with this cast and how quickly and effortlessly they've gotten into character and developed really great chemistry with each other. And I feel like we haven't seen that happen since Forza. Yeah, it has been a minute. Because we're at episode 8. When we were, like, when we were this far into Forza, I knew who everyone was. 100%. And I know who everyone is here. And I know what all of their relationships are. And it's so good and solid. And, because I don't want to, I don't want to spend 15 episodes figuring out who everyone is no i hate when they do that it is the most boring just terrible thing because at that and, point like we hit episode 15 we know who everyone is and then you throw in the sixth and everything is up in the air again yep and i don't i don't like it do not appreciate it but i, I will say uh this also really hi highlights that ko as as far as reds go is one of the best and most charismatic ones we've had in a while which is really impressive because on paper uh he really sucks like he's generic as anything you just run down the list of things we know about him and his personality traits the kid playing him is really good yeah because he's and like again it, it, a lot of it comes down to the chemistry between the characters but i just i like that we get the these weird revelations like oh yeah he's 209 years old these people live a long time but they don't make a thing of it like Ui is is 
understandably a bit shocked, but he's not even like, yes, we are an ancient people. He's just like, yeah, you know, 200. Yeah. You're 200 years old? Well, I'm 209, actually, but, you know, who's counting? Just like, whatever. No I mean, like, look, I gotta say, I, I really hope if I ever live to be that long, with old, rather, uh, which not gonna happen, um, but I'd like to think if I ever did, I would also be that kind of chill and unflappable. Why are these people so chill? Oh, they've been around for 200 years. They've had time to, like, just calm the F down. And just go, going back to, like, the actual what's going on in this scene, I can't handle the fact that when Ko goes back to then trying to jump off the bridge to swim around the world, Ui's like, okay, that's fine, like, you can do that, but here's some earplugs so you don't get water in your ears. Like, she's 100% ready to let him go do this absolutely bonkers thing, and is more worried about him, like, getting an ear infection than about the comic impossibility of what he wants to go do. Like, it's a really clever setup for Ko to then have the earplugs later, and I appreciate that they, like, gave him a reason to have these things that he would definitely never have heard of. But it also leans so heavily into the kind of wild comedy of this show and the sort of weird sketch comedy slapstick that Ui employs that I didn't even stop to think about the fact that these earplugs were basically a Chekhov's gun. And, like, you you put the gun on stage, he's gotta use it. You put the earplugs in his hand, he has to use them. And I just think I really adore Ryu Soldier's writing and that it's so good and clever about its misdirection that I was just willing to let this be a throwaway scene. Same. That meant nothing. And then when he does use them in the next scene, they don't, like, take three seconds to then flash back to him being given the earplugs to remind us that he has them. Like, Lord, I appreciate that, because it was literally, like, the last scene, and most modern toku would waste, like, five seconds of our time showing Ui giving them to him again, as if we'd forget in the 30-second span between when she gave them to him and now that she gave them to him. Yeah, no, it's, it is one of the things that is the most refreshing with the show, it, just the, the trust and faith they have in their audience, which, I mean, a lot of things don't have. I mean, I, a part of me does wonder how much of the weird and heavy-handed bits and long flashbacks and of the things that happened like three minutes ago aren't there because someone on the team, I tend to blame producers because I'm, I'm like that with money people. That's probably not fair. But a lot of times it just feels they have no faith that anyone will understand the thing that has just happened, which is so weird. Because <laughs> if you're if you're wanting these kids to watch your show, like give them a reason to be engaged. But then I say that, and, but judging by a lot of YouTube channels, I'm occasionally directed to by the bad algorithm on YouTube. I kind of see where they're coming from because you do see a lot of people making their living watching movies and then complaining about this movie didn't explain literally everything to me all the time. It has so many plot holes. Like, I mean, I feel like 
everyone should be better at watching things than that, but uh, I'm I'm just glad that this writer and and just whoever all the people making this new soldier are better than that, and they don't go out and call you an idiot for watching their show. There's some really great out of suit action in this arc, like that training sequence with Toa and Bamba was fantastic and i'm not sure if they had stunt doubles for some bits because it did seem like any of the really heavy actiony parts we were always seeing them from the back but i mean some of it was mm-hmm. very clearly them and they've got some great physical action work going and there's some, just some really cool stuff and this is a sakamoto arc and in the action sequences you can tell it's sakamoto and i'm deeply grateful from the depths of my heart that someone at Toei is finally reining him in because as much as I personally really like Cardinia and Fida's outfits, I think they're cute as heck, there could have been some severe grossness going on with the camera and there wasn't and I'm glad for that. Yeah, no, I, again, I had no idea that this was the Sakamoto episode and that's, that's nice because when you know it's him, you're always on the lookout because you just, you don't want to get sideswiped by it. But it does explain why he, why some of the explosions and the framing thereof were just real good. Because it's, it's nice. It's nice. The dude knows how to do a fight scene. The dude knows how to do an explosion. I just, I'm glad that someone is just smacking him upside the back of his fool head. I mean, like, I kind of would prefer that they just find someone who, didn't need to be reined in like that but that's neither here nor there because this is what actually exists but like i would honestly i would trade all of the really gorgeous explosions to just not have the camera be like that also as an aside i appreciate that the actresses they hired for cardinia and fida are 30 and 21 respectively one because if it would be not as horrifying it would still be horrifying but not as horrifying if there was camera work like that instead of you know when they hire 16 year olds but i also just think it's cool that they hired some actresses who are a little older for once like the ryu soldier cast does skew a little older with toa at 18 being the youngest and i think uh bonba's in his late 20s um, so maybe that has to do with it, and they're just, you know, skewing everything a little older this year. But even just that they're skewing anything a little older this year is really cool as an older fan. Like, having Cardinia's actress be a year younger than me, and getting to play a character who's strong and fierce, and the first thing she does is pull a knife on Toa... <laughs> But still get to, like, dress super cute as all heck and be vulnerable and care about people? Like, yeah, I'm 800% here for that. Yeah, same. Same, because I'm I'm right here with you about being happy to see some grown adult ladies who, again, not being mega creeped on, doesn't feel like a thing we should be celebrating, but (laughs) here we are. Um, but it's it's nice to see them getting to do some actual acting. Again, like you're saying, like they, they have adventures, be safe, do some saving, be conflicted about things. Like, I really enjoyed the the whole, like, oh, I don't want to do this, but I gotta save my sister, but I don't want to murder all these nice people. 
that was that was real nice. And also, it's it's nice to get the recognition that adulthood doesn't come at you like flipping a switch. It it comes with all these human moments, and that's that's good because one of the one of the things that is really gross about a youth obsession just becomes after a certain point you don't know you can't conceive of adults as people when you're a kid. At least I couldn't. That could just be about me. And I just I like that we're taking the time to be like, hey kids, all these adults got stuff they're doing. Chill out. But not in the way that it's like, hey kids, all these adults have stuff they're doing. That's why your parents are bad. Let them be bad at you some more. Because boy, they come close to that sometimes. Anyway, let's move on. We're in the positive part. <laughs> yeah. So I love kind of at the end of that training sequence, Bonbo like kind of rolls his eyes and helps Toa up off the ground. Like something about that was really sweet. Just being like, oh, you know, you tried. You tried, kid. And was it was a little reminiscent of when we saw the flashback to Ko training with his master and he helps him up off the ground. And I'm really here for more vulnerable and gentle moments with the two of them, and especially with Banba. And there's a lot of focus in this scene and in this arc in general on betrayal and the idea of betrayal weighing heavily on Banba. Like, if we get invested in other people, they're gonna betray us. Which has me wondering again if he knows more about what happened to their masters than Toa does. And if one of their masters betrayed the other and also them. Or, hear me out, since Ryu Soldier leans so heavily into drawing on the most interesting and sometimes underrated parts of past dinosaur sentai... This may be where Geysorg factors in. The purple guy from... Yeah. Yes. Because there is a similar... And I think I mentioned this during Strongest Battle. There was a similar thing in Abba Ranger that was... Um, it was how the monsters in Abba Ranger took over Dino Earth... Because the, the Berserker, one of them had put on the Berserker armor because he wanted to be strong enough to fight them off, but it made him like a killing machine and he, he attacked the Dino Earth people also. Jan has it for a little while and then it gets on Asuka because he tries to save her from it. And it's, it's this kind of small recurring plot that keeps coming around, but it functions very much like Geysorg where it's this kind of semi-sentient berserker armor that just tries to fight the strongest thing and then goes on to the strongest thing. And I'm wondering if that armor somehow got one of their masters who then killed the other. Because if Bamba saw whoever it was in the armor without the helmet, like when we saw Takaharu in it in Strongest Battle, that could lead to some heavy misunderstandings and feelings of betrayal from Bonba. Oh, no, I, I like that. Let's, I'm putting a pin in that for our, our tiny, just just starting out Ryu Soldier Court board, because I, I feel like that theory's got some legs. Uh, and it feels like the kind of like heavy, deep darkness that this show often flirts with. Because, I mean, look, I don't need... The, you know, our grim darkness, uh, 
stuff, but when I can get it in a way that feels genre-appropriate and also interesting in my children's adventure programming, I confess I'm really here for it. And some intense betrayal and Geysorg, and that, that could be a lot of fun. And also, it would really help explain why, at least thematically, uh, Toa and Bonbo were in the in the specials that introduced Geysorg, because that'd be a nice thematic tieback. I feel like there's something there, because there's so many things that Bonbo reacts to and feels and that seem to shape him. And given the importance we saw placed on the Masters with the other three, and the very notable absence of them by the time we come to Bonba and Toa, I feel like something happened. It, yeah. I think that's a very defensible read. I do kind of appreciate that, like, the second Melto finds out that Cardinia's a princess, he's like, okay... I guess I gotta go be a knight, because that's our whole gig. Like, he's kind of rolling his eyes a little about it, because he doesn't really like her. Like, he- she's- she's a little aggressive when she first gets there, and his response is valid. But he knows he's gotta do it to figure out what's up, and it's obvious that no one else in the room is gonna do it, because Asuna- Well, Asuna's- Asuna isn't gonna figure it out. And Toa and Bamba are not going to kneel to a stranger, princess or not. So he's like, just, uh, fine, I'll go. And Ko's not there. Ko would do it, but he's, if Ko could, Ko would do it if he'd think of it, but he wouldn't think of it. Um, he would just, like, run up and be like, hey, what's wrong? Friend time? It, it really. He, he really is the Kisaragi Gintaro it, it just, Sentai. Yeah, he is. Which is saying something, because... There've been a lot of attempts at it. They haven't hit it, but, but he's... he's really getting there. And but Melta's like, "Okay, I got to do it. Fine." And he does it and he gets to the point. Proud of him. Absolutely. And and like on top of that, it's it is a good moment and lets us play on top of with the character. It also lets us talk about this night thing cuz you know, you talked about the the way that they build mystery about what the world building's like just by having these offhand little bits. And now I'm wondering what the whole, what the hidden villages, like, what is their government system? What are, how do they organize themselves? Why are they knights? Because that is a kind of thematically specific thing to be and implies a lot about how this village operates or, or at least how it used to operate because it looked, like, there weren't a lot of people there anymore, and it just, it's a thing that leaves me wanting more and, and creates a good set of questions that are, are fun to ask and, and will lead to fun revelations, because that's the other part of a mystery box. They do go on, like, full Arthurian knights. Yeah. Full Three Musketeers-style... Like, chivalry. Defend the crown, crossing swords, yeah, the chivalry thing. It's, because I feel like if if it was something a bit more, like, samurai-ish, they would have said so. Yeah, but it's, it's very clearly no, not, because it's, 
it's not Shinkenger. Yeah, exactly. Shink, the Shinkenger the, were samurai. These are knights. Yeah, and it's it is a clear difference, and that's great. And all of their their dinosaur knights hang out in little castles, and it just I have so many questions about the deep deep lore building, but I don't need them answered. I just want them answered because when they answer them, I feel like the answer is going to be interesting. Because that's, again, that's the thing, a lot of the puzzle box things where they just make a big show of, oh, look, here's the mystery. Like, they keep forgetting that the mystery should be interesting. You should care about the answer. It, like, the problem is not that you are holding back the answer, is that the answer is, like, who cares? Like, that was, that was the problem with, what's his name? Ice Boy. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, I didn't... Zamigo. Yeah, they're like, oh, he's, he's... After certainly is mysterious. Red, and I'm like, I don't why I don't care. I want to know more about like I just almost called her Naria, um, Gauche. Like I want to know more about this other stuff because this guy has been here for like forty seconds total. I don't care. Where is Gauche? Like, what she want to do? Oh, she wants to perform obscenely cruel human. It's scientific experiments on humans. That's terrible. I want to know more about her. Because that sounds interesting. Like, nothing about Zamigo is all that interesting. But, like, I, I already am in love with these characters, so of course I want to know more about where they came from and how that affected them. Because I want to know more about them, because I love them. Yeah, they're great. So I'm deeply endeared by how strongly Toa and Banda react to the idea of family. Because anytime anyone brings up the concept of family, like, they kind of drop everything and throw themselves at it. Like, the, the plan is explained, and, like, Cardinia's thing is explained, that her sister's been kidnapped, and... Like, Ko, Melto, and Asuna are, seem like, like, we gotta think about this, we don't really know what's going on, how do we know, like, you're not with them, and Toa and Bamba, who seem like even more they would hesitate and not want to get in on it because they're usually more concerned with the Minosaur, are just like, oh, your sister was kidnapped? Yeah, okay, we're in, we're, we're gonna fix that. Without any questions at all. I mean, the Bonba's only question is, hey, you care about your sister? And she's like, yeah, I die for her. And Bonba's like, yo, big mood, I'm in. <laughs> like, same hat. Yep. And, you know, their, their plot has always been built around the fact that they're siblings and they're all each other has, and Bonba would die for Toa. And, you know, Cardinia clearly exists as this par parallel to Bonba. That's the point but the writing of this show is so strong that without saying it directly it, they make it clear that Toa and Bamba are being motivated by something different than Ko, Melto, and Asuna even if their motivations are moving them to the same goal. Which, I mean, again good writing in this show. And if we're gonna have this sub-team thing going on, I'm glad that we've got kind of an unstated but obvious reason for the division because we have to protect our family is 
definitely the kind of thing that'll motivate and, as we see earlier in the series, kind of warp someone and the way that they express both the, the motivation and kind of the negative effects are really powerful. And it, it's there just in every time Banba pulls back from wanting to murder someone. And every time he does, I feel so proud of him. I'm so happy for him. Because, I mean, he's not murdering people when he really wants to. And um, we here on Laser Knees are big fans of people not getting murdered. Because, yeah, I, I, so no, I'm, I'm, I hope you don't mind that I just, I decided to just take that and run with it. But I felt pretty safe. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've made my stance on wanting people to not be murdered pretty clear over the years. Yeah, same. So I just, I figured it'd be cool. But yeah, I, seriously, I love Bamba so much just because we start with him like, alright, well, I'm gonna fix the problem, just kill that person. And now it's, now it's just all about him coming out of that, and it's great. I'm just, I'm so proud of him, and I love him. I really, really love him and Toa, and the way they're kind of working with that plot line. Yeah, it's... And speaking of how much I love Bamba, this is another really subtle thing, but it's sh I love how it's shown over the course of this arc and from episode, you know, two or three or whenever they first show up to this point, that in spite of the divide that we just talked about that is definitely there, Bamba has slowly but surely come to trust the other three. Because when everyone transforms to fight at the amusement park, he doesn't and takes off to find Fida. And there's no way Bonba would do that if he thought for a second that even one of them wouldn't be able to handle that fight without him. Because that would put Toa in danger. And it's... Again, they don't beat us over the head with that moment, but it is a such a big moment. Again, like, I'm just restating your thesis there. Like, it's subtle and it's clear, and it's like they hired someone on to write this show who knows a thing or two about writing serialized adventure series or something. Because, like, look, no no hate on other Sentai writers. Because, I, you know, there's a lot of stuff they're working on. There. Everyone's got their own aesthetic. Everyone's got their own style. It's great. I'm not I'm not hating on anyone. But, boy, Yamaoka is demanding a sh is writing a show, rather, which both demands attention from the viewer and rewards it, which is, I think, the other side of the, of the, the not having you, not having them explain everything every five seconds, because if we're not doing that, then we're demanding you pay attention. If you want to know what's going on with this show, you actually have to watch, and that's, that's nice. And then it also rewards it by, hey, if you're watching it like a hawk, you will catch that moment where, yeah, of course, Bonbo, like, if Bonbo's gonna run, it must be because he trusts these people, because his little brother's there, and as we've just seen with Vita and Gardena, Gardenia, yeah, he'll risk his life for his brother. So, yeah, it's just, it's good. I'm sorry, I've just restated a lot of your arguments over again. I'm just excitedly agreeing with you. I just, I love him so much. And I swear, the guy they got playing him is so good. He is, and I'm excited and it makes me happy that he was in a drama that I really loved, even though he was a character who did not have any lines and probably did not have a name. But I'm just 
you know, the this character that I saw, and now he's getting to be someone so big and great, and I can kind of go look at him in the background of that and be like, you're going places, kid. What, what show was that? Uh, it was called Samurai High School. I've, I've oh, talked about it a few another times. one from Samurai High School? Yeah, he was, he was, uh, no one. He was just kind of in the background of that show. He was part of the class. He was in, right he was on. in the main character's class. And I've, I think that I've picked him out. I think that I've found him going back and looking through the first episode. But it makes me happy that this character who, this guy who played kind of this really bit part is now really kind of the emotional core of this show. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And just, I swear, it takes a lot to be able to stare into the middle distance and make me feel an emotion. That dude's very good at it. Also, props to those child actors who had to fight the in-suit Ryu soldiers, because those kids are definitely almost, probably not trained for, like, full action sequences because they're child actors. But they still did a pretty dang good job having some solid action sequence movements and flow as they're kind of running in at the Ryu soldiers. Yeah, it was quite impressive. Like, over here, we were kind of wondering if they might not be, like, kids learning to be suit actors or, or something, because, like you said, for all they probably aren't trained for the full-on, big-scale action sequences... There were some pretty good moves in there. So it felt like they must have had some kind of training somewhere. I'm not I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm well, just... I have to imagine that, like, while filming, Sakamoto and or the suit actors worked with them on, like, what they should do and how yeah, they true. should move. Um, and, I mean, like, look, that's not a bad place to start. Working with no, Sentai suit actors on how to do an action scene? You learn some stuff. That sounds sick as heck, I'm not gonna lie. I also really like that not only has Toa warmed up to the other Ryu soldiers to the point where he's like, nah, I'm, I'm, we're all a team now. He's also grown fond of Ui, and we haven't really seen that Which, until- you know, big yeah, mood. big mood. Feel that. Um, but we haven't really seen it until now, but they get into where everyone's being held, and he's like, oh, that must be Fida, and then he like- his head, because he's in suit, so there's not an expression, but he, his head, like, slightly turns, and he just sees Ui on the ground and just like, no, forget the mission, I gotta go, I gotta go wake Ui up. Uh, we'll, we'll handle, we'll handle saving this princess in a second. I gotta go get Ui. Because, like, she's his friend now. And I really hope that we get a bit in the near future, hopefully the very near future, where Toa kind of sits down with Ui and is like, hey, sorry we considered murdering you that one time. This isn't this isn't a, really an excuse, but we've had some bad stuff happen and it kind of gave us a really messed up outlook on our job. So just, you know, sorry. Like, I think that'd be a beautiful moment, honestly. Because, like, even if, even if at some point in there it's, hey, you know, it's okay that you considered murdering me. It was for a good cause. I I mean, in his shoe, like, I feel like he should feel a little guilty, because even if you just are musing out loud about killing someone, and then they try to jump into a pit, hmm, that's terrible. Again, 
again, we are very anti-murder up in here. Yes. So yeah, I think I think Uwe deserves an apology, and I don't know, like like some cookies. Yeah, I just you know hang out with her, be friends. So going into episode eight, that bit where the entirety of the action stops because Weisel made a pun, and the whole cast is like, "Excuse me, what? What did you just say?" Like, I I felt that resonate in my soul. Yeah, it's really good. And, like, hats off to the folks at Overtime for the translation, at least the one I saw. Because, like, it was a cross-linguistic pun that they then translated back into a single-language pun. And that's... I mean, y'all, translating wordplay is very difficult. So the fact that they got it... I mean, it was a little clunky, but it was also supposed to be. It's really good translation. And and also, well, while we're on that note, I meant to bring it up earlier. I kind of spaced. We we mentioned it a little with, with the kids. Uh, but I love Wiseul as our latest in our revolving door of non-crayon baddies. Because we're, we're going from a hammer to an entertainer, and that's great. Or, depending on how you want to look at it, we're going from a fighter to a bard. A rook to a bishop. It's just... It's a welcome change, because he's got an entirely different style than did Tank Joe as a bad guy, because he's he's not even chilling with Crayon much in these episodes, just running his own side game, and that's, that's great. And I, I know you mentioned it at the top of the show, Sono, which, like, a lot of the plan didn't make sense, and I'm not disagreeing with you there. It, the, the timeline does not, does not make sense, but it was still a half-decent side game. And it gave our heroes some stranger things they can look forward to and worry about with the guy. Because he can change shape. He uses illusions. He does that Pied Piper shtick to make a bunch of kids who, again, I, I hope they're wannabe suit actors or this has inspired them to want to be suit actors. Just, I really like the guy. He's a great villain. Oh, yeah. Like, while I stand by that the, the metatextual execution of his plan was messy and doesn't really make a lot of sense. His plan itself was dang good. It was underhanded oh, yeah. and manipulative and evil, and you know that he wasn't planning to give Fida back. Oh, no. It was, she's going to turn into the giant monster, and if I don't kill you, you'll kill her. Ha <laughs> ha! Comedy. Like, he's he's so fun, and I agree that I'm on board with how different he is from Tank Joe. Because as cool and effective as Tank Joe was, killing him and then replacing him with a dude who's basically the same thing, or even kind of like roughly the same thing, like very combat-oriented, would have felt like they wanted the drama of getting rid of Tank Joe without actually committing to getting rid of Tank Joe. Like, you would have just been bringing in the same dude, but the costume is different. And I appreciate that they didn't do that, and that they really want to play with their villains, and what their villains are doing, and what the villain plots, the larger villain plots, do in parallel to the plots the Ryu soldiers have going on. It's it's really good. I, I know I keep saying that, but it keeps being true. And, like, honestly, like, you bring up they could have just done another one. 
I have to say, a part of me is kind of hoping that we end up doing a resurrected boss rush near the end of the series, because, look, there's two of most pieces on the chessboard. Yeah, and I'd, I'd be fine with that. Because that's, yeah, because that's a boss yeah, rush. Like, that that's a different really animal. That would be interesting. And it would really play into, again, there's two of most pieces on a chessboard, but to have, like, an entirely different character who's just basically the same as Tank Joe, like, yeah, right after great. Tank Joe. I mean, just, like, right now, if we had a character who was basically Tank Joe right after Tank Joe, and, suck, yeah, that'd like, that would be boring. It, it'd be like, uh, oh, goodness, what was the squid girl's name in Q-Ranger? Oh, Madoko. Madoko. It'd be like that. Yeah, it would be exactly like, like that. Yeah, and boy, I hated that. It was the worst. But anyway, it's just it. It's just really nice. And okay, I'm gonna go way overboard with the chessboard thing. But ever since you brought it up, it really it makes all the sense to me. Cause Tank Joe, right? He's combat. He's he's direct. He's violent. That's the rook. The rook just goes forward or to the side. But it's it's just. Boom, boom. That's great. But whereas a bishop keeps coming at things from a very different kind of angle. And I just, you know, things like protecting yourself with a wall of children or pretending to be your own hostage. Like, that's some, that is some diagonal thinking. I think that's great. I look forward to finding out if the knight can, like, teleport in a weird way. Yeah, or just, just do something, like, real funky. Yeah, I just, I love the idea that the knight is, would ha- have, I don't know, like, movement powers, or restricted movement powers, or just something weird like that, because I, I, I really like the, the low-key chessboard thing they've got going, because it's not a massive, in-your-face thing, but boy, Sono, ever since you mentioned it, it's like, it's there. Or even, like, if he doesn't have movement powers, but he just... All his movements kind of contradict themselves in that he'd be making like a weird right turn, like he'd he'd always be just time. like make, going at a weird ninety degree angle, and he'd be going in one direction, and then suddenly he has made a left turn, and things were just never quite what they seemed. I I, I mean honestly, I have to say I hope that they could integrate that into like him having a special sword attack because he's a knight. They're knights. He's the evil knight. Like, let's go nuts. I mean, because there's going to be a king and a queen. And the king, of course, is going to suck. Because that's the king's job. But I just, I really, I want to see how they get their queen going here. That's the thing. Because, boy, that's going to be an amazing Lady Sentai villain. At least she friggin' well better be. Yeah, God. I know, I know she's not going to be but I really hope that she's, like, a face actor. Oh, that'd be so good. Just, I mean, please. you're right, it's not gonna happen, it's but... It's not gonna happen, but please, Sentai, just give me this. It's been so long, and it's been even longer since you did it not terrible. I just, honestly, just there's, find a There's a, a lady. three years between the last time they did it and the last time they did it not awful. It's just a shame that Machika Soga is not with us anymore. She'd be in a, like, As I just, just put her in a gown and just, hey, 
menace those kids. She'd do it. As I just instinctively, like, did the sign of the cross. Yeah, look, I mean, that's fair. God rest her. So, a thing that I've mentioned before, and have been mentioning repeatedly, but that got really solid in this arc, is that Melto is intuitively on the same wavelength as Bonba. Like, and I'm so happy for him, because I'm glad to see that there's one dude Bonba feels he can count on, and I'm glad he's starting to realize it. Yeah, like, in Seven, he understands Bamba wanting to reflect the sun into the Minosaur's eyes without Bamba even really explaining the plan. And in Eight, him and Bamba are the ones who both visibly react to Cardinia knowing about where Minosaurs come from, even though she shouldn't. Even though I find that more unbelievable than her knowing about Dino Knights, because if the Druidon are just, like, kidnapping people from other planets, they could just be birthing Minosaurs on, other, on pretty much any inhabited planet. That's true, it's a good way to mine for resources. You know, they made one out of Fida, so clearly it doesn't just affect humans. But, like, they both react to that and are like, hey, that's not right. We need to step out of where she can hear us and talk about it. And I just keep really wanting that episode of these two bouncing off of each other and kind of bonding over both being really good swordsmen and being the smart ones, and that they kind of get each other. And at this point, I don't even really want Toa to be, like, jealous of someone, air quotes, stealing his brother. Like, at this point, I just want Toa to be like, oh, thank God my brother is developing social skills, and someone other than me can stand to be around him for 45 seconds. Like, I can go take a break. Yeah, because, ooh. I, I bet Bonba gets real tiring. <laughs> like, he loves him. He loves him. But, like... And at the same time. It can only take so much. I mean, look, in fairness to Bonba, it is it is hard to develop uh, the, the social skills, especially if you're not naturally inclined to them. It is It is necessary, of course, as it is a survival tactic, but... You know, when you're not a cool, dubiously immortal killer of swords, but I, I guess you... Like, he can afford to put it off. He's going to live to be at least 200 years old. Uh, the rest of us, we, we just kind of, kind of, we got to clutch those things together as best we can. I'm also pretty impressed that Melto has managed to get to a point where he grasps the concept of cell phones enough to come up with the, frankly, kind of brilliant plan of having Ui leave her cell phone on a call with him and then leave the room so they can eavesdrop on Cardinia and Weiselfina. Because that's a pretty good plan, and not one I'd expect Melto to come up with, because I didn't think he knew what a cell phone was. Yeah, no, that's a very good call. And, and you know, while a part of me is thinking, eh, look, this is kind of contrived, which, I mean, look, it's a Sentai series. They, most of them kind of run on contrivances. It's just, it, it was a weird moment. But at the same time, like, I, I also like that on top of coming up with the cell phone idea, he's also come to understand that Wiseul is definitely one of the villains who likes a smug monologue and definitely likes menacing someone. So, like, on top of figuring out cell phones, they've kind of got the start of having the number of, of their new bad guy, and that's great. Because he's such a classic villain. I love him. And I also, I can't wait for, like, Melto and Bomba to be coming up with these plans together. Yeah. 
Because, like, right now, Bomba's, like, not doing plans because he just doesn't want to hang out with these guys. But we're we're gonna get there and they're gonna be like, oh, well, we can do this and then do this. And they're gonna be like, they're gonna, like, high five. And Toa's gonna be like, I'm so proud. I, I, and eventually there's gonna be a time where they can't communicate, but they're just gonna, like, look across the, the field of battle and nod and they're just gonna do the right thing. Bless. And, and, like, you'll believe that they do that because of all the times they've been setting it up here without ever saying, hey guys, we're setting this up. The show is so good. It's it's written so well. I also really love that, you know, as, as they're out there engaging in realizing something is wrong, there's this moment where Bamba realizes that Weisel is setting them up for a trap because Weisel essentially says as much. And Ko's like, well, we gotta, we gotta do the trap because we have to save these two people that we met 20 minutes ago. And Bamba just snaps and is like, no, clearly we've been used, we've been betrayed, why should we help them? And Ko's just like, hey, I'm gonna protect these scared, lost siblings who only have each other. And Bamba just, like, lets go of him and has to process this. Because, you know, once again, he's scared for his brother. Because he and his brother were just betrayed and he lost himself to that. And he's gotta be like, oh, oh right, the thing we're doing. I want to say it's subtle, but it's not. It's, it's like, it is a sledgehammer to the face it's one of the it's the Garth Marenghi thing. I I know writers who use subtext and they're all cowards. Like it's that kind of thing. It's for a character who's for like being the stoic, emotionless guy. Bonda's like the most expressive one in this show. He is and then him and Ko they bounce off each other so well, and it explains a lot why they call him Ko because that dude's definitely the face of the group, and it's it's just. Again, like, yeah, we're going to protect these scared lost siblings who only have each other. And also those girls over there. Like, that's the subtext, and I love it, because it's not even subtext the way they put it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here, but it's, it's this subtle implication that is contextually not conscious on Ko's part, but is definitely metatextually, like, conscious on Yamaoka's part, that... Yeah, you two are also the scared lost siblings that we're gonna protect. You're part of this team. And, like, Bamba has to process that because no one stepped up to protect them whenever what happened to them happened. And the specter of betrayal is weighing on Bamba, so he's clearly hesitant to accept that someone is willing to step up for them now, especially as they're in the process of being betrayed. But he can't just pretend Ko is not as earnest as he is. Especially when he's saying, I'm going to protect these scared, lost siblings who are in the process of betraying me. Yep. And it's just... Cardinia and Fida, and Cardinia specifically, is like such a beautiful parallel to Banba because the reason she does what she does 
is out of helplessness and fear and wanting to protect the life of her little sister. And I'm sure that, like, as Ko is like, no, but we've got to do this, Banba has to admit to himself that if he was in Cardinia's place, he would have made the same choices. Oh, yeah. And I, I have to say, like, first off, of course, I'm real big on folks who who have been hurt stepping in to protect people generally. But then when they bring in the bit where it's, hey, what's up? I've been hurt, and I'm going to help protect you from the thing that hurt me. Like, man, I'm a sucker for that. I am such an easy mark. It's so good. It's my, it's also, my favorite, like, and I love Bonnie. Yeah, it's it's. I love him. Also, I don't remember exactly where he says it. I And I feel like it was in this moment or around it, something like that. But just that bit where Bonba calms down and is like yeah don't worry i'm i'm not going to kill your sister because that's kind of a big moment from him and it flows out of that same feeling that we're we're talking about here i just and i just wanted to highlight it because i mean again we're very pro not murdering people and it was such a a subtle and nice way to give him that moment and to just let everyone at home know, hey, I think we're done with the murder. Yeah, it's it's actually in the scene right before that when Oh it's um no I just I wanna give the the context for it because it's actually even a little more than that because they still thought the Minosaur was being hosted by the singer. And it's it's when he's like, I'm gonna go find the Minosaur, I'm gonna go find the guy and see if we can figure out the weakness for the Minosaur. Because at that point, he's already in on helping Cardinia. But if that guy was the host for the Minosaur, he's got no attachment to him. He's got no reason, that doesn't connect to his trauma. He's not, like, if it's Fida, it's still a big step in the right direction for him, but he's like, I'm... The, this person is kind of like surrogate Toa in my brain. I'm not going to kill them. But this, it's not just some guy. And he's like, no, I'm I'm past doing the murder. I just want to figure out how to beat the Minosaur. I'm not going to hurt this guy, this completely innocent person who doesn't realize what's going on. And it is this moment that we should talk about because it was this huge step for him as he's been slowly de-escalating from, oh, this person is the host for the Minosaur, well, we should just kill them and that'll get rid of the Minosaur, to, no, I'm not going to kill this person because their life matters as much as this person that I've decided I want to protect. Yeah, that is much more powerful, actually. And, you know, good on him. He's all out there figuring out the intrinsic value of human life after possibly doing a bunch of murders. I mean, probably not, because the Juvedons seem to have just got back and started doing the, the whole Minosaur thing, but look, I'm just glad we didn't have to watch dude do a murder on screen, because I'm okay with violence in media generally, to the point where a lot of it washes over me, which has led to some very awkward conversations where it's like, Hey, look, is this, is this thing cool to watch? Oh yeah, it's fine. And then the next day, like, why didn't you tell me this was so incredibly violent? Was it? Like, that's a conversation I've had more than once, and I feel 
very bad about it. But, you know, it's not intentional. I just, I've become inured. It's terrible. It's the world But in a Sentai, yeah. But in a Sentai series, I feel like it would really jump out. Especially if it was like, hey, what's up? I'm going to find this person in a hospital who's sleeping and is the monster and just kill them. So anyway, I'm just saying, again, pro-not-murdering people, anti-murder over here, so I'm glad that didn't happen. It, again, it's it's not that I don't think you can do bad things and never... It's not that I'm saying that people who have done bad things cannot then go on to do good things and not do any more bad things. It's just, it's a very deep discussion, but I, I just... Once you hit murder... Like, that's, that's a thing that is always kind of there. Yeah. yeah. Like, hey, even if you had a good reason, uh, uh, we're not exactly enthused to be hanging out, bro. Because, you know, again, we're anti-murder up in here. So, I adore the bit where after the fake Five Nights explodes, Ko just walks up and is like, yeah, that explosion was super cool. Like, as as Weisel's like, ah, oh, I did it, I... Look, they're destroyed, and he's like, yeah, that was a cool explosion. Hi, by the way, I'm over here. Uh, because that's a power move. That, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. But even more than that, I love the bit right after that where, like, there's Ko, and then Asuna, and Melto, and, like, they've each got a hand on the person in front of them's shoulder, and they kind of all lean around each other to give Banba just this big, dumb grin. Like, aren't we such a good team, Banba? You can't say we're not. We did it. Our plan worked. And, like, Toa and Ko high-five, and then Banba has to acknowledge that everyone's right and that they really do all need each other and are a great team, and just begrudgingly just doesn't even look at them, just puts his arm out behind him for the fist bump with Ko, that, you know, now our team's souls are all finally united as one, and I'm happy. Uh, I have to say, it was one of the most earned, begrudging, reluctant fist bumps in the history of adventure media. Like, it's so earned, but still, he's just looking off to the side, and he is so disgusted. It's such a good moment. He hates that he has to admit Ko's been right the whole time. He hates it. And I, I can't, mean, look, who could blame him? I like, can't Ko, wait. Ko's kind of insufferable. He is, I love him. I love him, but I can't wait for 30 episodes from now when they think Ko's gotten him killed by, I don't know, the Queen or whatever. And Bonda is the one most visibly destroyed by the thought of Ko being gone. Like, I can't wait to get to that and look back at this moment. Because I love suffering. Oh, yeah, no, I, 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 I'm already kind of getting choked up about it. Because that would be the one time they do do a flashback. And it's the flashback to exactly that shot. Just, just the reluctant fist bump. It's like, oh no, that's when he became my friend! Oh. It's, it's just, it's that bit in Decoranger when Hoji and Bon go into space and Bon, like, shoots himself into the monster or whatever and explodes and Hoji's like, you're my only partner, I could never replace you. And then Bon's like, oh really? 
like back from the dead he's like oh really you're my partner he's like shut up we're not partners we're not friends i, oh, I love so i love bon and hoji um but it's i just i can't wait for that moment because that's what it's gonna be and i'm gonna suffer i am gonna i am gonna cry and it's gonna be great some my favorite part of the big climactic armor fight that's you know has the opening theme under it and is the big deal fight where they you know they've all got different souls than they normally use and asana just starts flinging mooks around the set just starts grabbing them and throwing them and then uses the beefy soul to just bash them all with her giant muscular arms because she's an angel and it's it's just so nice to get a second reminder that we are not forgotten we are not forsaken they just they had to shift focus for a bit, so we didn't talk about Asuna and how she just loves wrecking dudes. But we're we're back to that. It's okay. Um, though to to pick up from a slightly different part of what you'd mentioned there, uh, the the music, because there was also a low key instrumental version of the theme they played during a couple of the emotional moments. And again, I don't know how much a director controls sound and music choices. But for all I do wish they'd stop giving Sakamoto work. Or, if they must give him work, keep him on whatever leash they had him on here. But, look, Sakamoto knows when to drop the theme. Just does. Like, I feel like he would have at least some say in that, because that's a very specific music choice. Where he'd be like, this is the scene where I want the big music drop. Because the construction of the episode is really kind of on him. Those are his decisions as the director. And I do gotta admit that the best theme song drops do seem to be on Sakamoto's watch, so it's hard to think that he doesn't have some influence over it. Yeah, no, I. it's true. It's just, it's just like, I, I admire it, and I'm always happy when he's being held back when he directs, but I'm just... I'm never going to give him a fist bump. Like, this is not a reluctant fist bump territory. This is just like, no. Because, no. It, it. I'm probably never going to stop just harping on, hey, this time he directed something that wasn't mega creepy at ladies. Good for him doing that thing that he's supposed to do. Because, like, you, sorry, you don't get a fist bump for doing the thing you're supposed to do. Especially when he really, like, he's very bad at doing that thing he's supposed to do. I'm not going to say the worst, because he can be reined in, but boy, he's not good at it. And as much as I'm, like, still really baffled by how the Fida is allergic to bad singing thing, doesn't really make a whole lot of sense with the timeline of Fida being kidnapped or not kidnapped. Um, I do love that Asuna saves the day by just going out and singing so bad that the monster just dies. Like, and it's not even really played off in a way that makes fun of Asuna, because even though she's a little embarrassed by it, it's never that she just doesn't want to do it and feels bad about the fact that she sings badly. Because she's like, oh, is this, is this really the plan and they're like yeah asana you, like you're the only one that can do this and we know it'll work and she's like oh okay then i'm gonna do it and it seems pretty enthusiastic to be using what is basically a personal weakness as a strength to save someone's life 
Which even Fido, like, singles her out as they're thanking the team. Is like, hey, you really did the thing that got me out of there. Thanks for that. And also, that was totally not her, like, hey, what's up, beefy girl? I completely don't have a crush on you. Oh, yeah. Oh, Certainly not. Lordy. Look, Asuna's they... getting all the ladies in this show. Yep, there, I'm sure there's a heterosexual explanation for all of this. Narrator, there wasn't. Even in the little flashback when they're like, oh yeah, she sings so badly that instead of singing at Village Festival, she'd be playing the drums. Like, she doesn't even seem to feel bad about that, because we see her in the flashback as an adult, and she's just, like, yeah. banging on the drums, having a great time. She seems super into it, so it's not like, I don't think she even feels really self-conscious that she can't sing. She's just like, oh, like, is that what we're doing? Because I, I feel like the whole reason she felt kind of bad about it was just like, I don't want to, like, hurt this girl who's allergic to my bad singing. But, oh well, if it'll save her life, I'll go do it. Not a big deal. It's fine. Look, all I can say is is when I was watching that, um, all I could think of, about was how when I lived in the States, my friends and I would, every Wednesday, go out for karaoke. Go down to a nearby bar, and and we'd sing. And it was, it was a public one, so just everyone, strangers, regulars, it was, it was a whole thing. And I bring that up to say this, as bad as they say Asuna sings, I have heard so much worse. But also, I will say, to learn from Asuna's example, as I think we should all do in things we're not so great at but also enjoy, there's no better way to gain confidence in your ability to sing than karaoke, even if you suck at singing. So much of doing it well is not about hitting notes or, or about sounding like the original performer. It's honestly... So much of it is about just gleefully making a fool of yourself and putting all the passion you have into the moment. Because, like, look, you're not going to get as much praise as people who can sing get, because a lot of people who can sing and can perform, yeah, they're the favorites. Uh, but if you give it as much love and passion as Asuna did there, unless the crowd are just the worst... You'll do well, and you'll get applause, and it'll be fun, as long as you're taking it seriously and respecting the the craft. Because, look, I I there's a lot of songs I can't do that I'd still try to do, and at that point, all you can do is just put some stank on it. It's just there's no other choice. Alternatively, of course, there are places that'll rent out rooms just for you and your friends, which gives a lot more time for singing, but less time for chilling and splitting bar food and, and stuff like that, but also maybe healthier for persons with bad relationships to alcohol or really intense stage fright or just don't like bars, but, you know, want to sing, because that's a fun bonding experience. I've only done bar karaoke once um, around Christmas last year, and it was a blast. Um, but I've mostly done the private room karaoke, which I believe is more common in Japan than something I'm, like I'm open bar karaoke. Um, and then sometimes my friend, we will just do it in my friend's apartment, which is even more fun. But I oh, assume yeah. with like a decently sized enough group, which frankly I think is the only way to properly do 
private room karaoke. You gotta, like, cram 15 people in there. Um, like, I feel like you can get a lot of the same kind of energy and then also have kind of everyone doing the song. Because uh, I... Oh, that's fun. Yeah. New Year's, it's, it's become kind of a New Year's tradition that we, we go to my friend's apartment and there's like 15 to 20 of us doing karaoke in her apartment. And last year, me and my one friend, we did a great performance of Gaston. Oh, nice. And it was it was very fun. And the room had a blast. And I I feel like that would be a great bonding experience for the team. It, yeah. And because I just think of what that that bit in Tokyo when they did karaoke. Yeah. And just I want I want what that was for Akira. I want that for Bamba. Oh, yeah. Oh goodness. I'm here for that. And Ui should just absolutely either like get a karaoke machine because they've got that microphone apparently or just take everyone out for karaoke. Because the team needs this. They do. It's a good bonding experience. And also be great hashtag content for her YouTube channel. Which will then force Crayon to make Wizul and or whoever the monster of the week is do some karaoke as well. And they can have a cool music fight on the YouTubes. Yes. Because, look, last episode you mentioned the a possible YouTube fight for them. I'm just, I'm still so for it, so no. I love that idea so much. They do make a little bit of a joke at Asuna's expense at the end of the episode, where she tries the vocal training, and I felt a little bit about bad about that, because, hey, Ui's dad, you're as bad as she is, and maybe the glass house shouldn't be throwing stones. No, yeah. I Though I have to wonder if, like, soy milk is good for your vocal cords, because it's maybe? less... It's less phlegmy, but, like, you want a little bit, because that'll protect your vocal cords a bit more. I, yeah. I don't know. Just... But, I mean, like, I appreciate that at least Ui was actually trying to, like, help her do the training, and Ko and Melto were, weren't like, oh, man, she still sounds so bad. They're just like, huh, they have disposable chopsticks on another planet. Weird. And, like, that... That felt like more of the joke of that scene until Ui's dad stepped in. Honestly, I just, I love how little of the sh humor on the show is about taking pot shots or saying this person is stupid and more just like, hey, the world sure is weird, huh? Yeah. I like, I like circumstantial humor. It's good. Just, you know, A lot better I'm than gonna... put downs. Yeah, no, just... There's something so much more fun and wholesome about, I'm gonna go jump in this river and swim out into the world, and the humor of of the impossibility of that up against, like, the humor of, haha, she's bad at singing, like, I don't know, the other one is much more fun. Yeah, no. The, the humor is. of, uh, here's some earplugs so you can go swim around the world is way funnier than, let's laugh at this girl who can't sing. Yeah. Because, boy, that... They could have taken one of those child actors and had the flashback be, like, Asuna singing badly at a village festival and being embarrassed. But instead, they're, like, they show her just having the time of her life on the drums. And that's a good choice. That it's is, that's really the nice. right choice. I think that's a good note to end on, actually. I think so. 
Uh, so then, for Laser Knees and the rest of the TOOL Network, I'm Ayla. And I'm Sona. And don't get kicked by a horse and die. <laughs> <laughs>